This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to another special episode of the Sky Boots Extra podcast with me, David Moore, Tom Ward, and a very special guest, Klaus Jorgensen. Born in Denmark, he had his first taste of English football with Bournemouth before moving on to Bradford and finally to the Sky Blues under Gary McAllister. During his time at the club, he made over 50 appearances, scoring six goals, including the first ever goal at the Rico Arena. Klaus, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure our listeners at home will enjoy listening to your memories and more over the next hour or so. Oh, thank you for uh, inviting me on. And I want to sort of start off where it sort of started for you, Klaus, at the Sky Blues. Before moving to Coventry, you played for Bournemouth and Bradford um, and you moved, You made a move to England from AC Horsens. Uh, how did that come about, your move to England and, and then on from, from the other teams to Coventry? Well, it was um, a bit unorthodox, uh, to say the least. I was I was playing part time at uh, AC Horsens while studying uh, business in Aarhus, and um, uh, yeah, halfway through the the season uh, in the in the winter break, I um, I wrote to uh, all the clubs in the in the lower divisions in England to asking for a trial. We, me and my brother in law, had gone to the uh, to the library uh, to to get on the internet in those days it was in 98 and uh, we we got all the details of uh, league one and league two clubs and printed them out and just started from one end contacting everyone and you know by fax phone and fax and writing cv and and just uh, chasing them down call back on Wednesday at one o'clock and we called on Wednesday one o'clock then the manager no he's not in he's somewhere else and uh, just hunting people down, uh, and eventually uh, the, the goal was to to get a trial, and um, and we managed in the end to get a hold of, of Bournemouth, and they um, they invited me over uh, to play a, a reserve match against Chelsea. It was on a um, it was a Tuesday night, <clears throat> and the Danish season had been. Uh, it had been in winter break for five weeks, so I was a little bit uh, worried about how my fitness was going to be. So right. got got on the plane six o'clock in the morning. Got picked up at Heathrow Airport by John Williams, the assistant manager of Bournemouth. Drove to Bournemouth, got put in a hotel, waited there till the evening. So um, yeah, the agreement was that if I did well that Tuesday uh, in the in the reserve match. I could join in with training on the Thursday, right. and then my flight was going back on the on the Friday. So, um, yeah, I, I did well, and they uh, asked me to stay for training. I 
trained and then they were quick they were keen uh, to take me immediately so that was a that was a long story cut short <laughs> not at all no <laughs> worries and um you then moved on to uh bradford from bournemouth um and to sort of take us through that well so i i signed a contract with bournemouth which was one year plus a one year option uh, on the club's side so they they took up the second year uh, sorry, yeah, the, the the second year of the contract, um, and when that expired, I was just see, I was twenty three when I arrived. And, sure. Uh, so, so turned twenty three before I was before my first year as a pro. So I was I was in a rush. I was in a rush to get as, as high up the leagues as I could. Sure. And yeah. um, and we with Bournemouth, we it, I mean it was fantastic. Um, we just missed out on the playoffs in in my second season. Uh, and um, and then I was I was out of contract. I was just looking for, to get up to the championship, and and uh, Bradford showed an interest. We went to see them, and uh, I signed on the Friday uh, in early July. It was, and uh, I drove back to Bournemouth uh, on the Saturday. I switched on the telly, and the Bradford riots was on the TV. So I thought the news would have gone out, but uh, no, it was uh, <laughs> it was. Um, that, that's how it happened, uh, and I was—I couldn't believe it when I, I, I got to play in the championship, because that was that was shown on TV in Denmark. Uh, uh, you know, obviously a great history with English football being yeah. shown in the eighties, seventies, uh, and eighties as the only football match you'd see was from the English old first division, uh, but and that still carried on up, up in uh, in the nineties, and now again you'd see the game from the second tier of English football which was still fu- still better than the best league in Denmark so when I got to to play in that league I got, got a, a chance to play anyway then uh, I mean that was a sort of a dream come true yeah and I was going to ask you about that actually you mentioned about the the Danish um, football how how did English football differ um, in terms of you know both I suppose not the glitz and glamour around it, but obviously a lot, lot different in England, perhaps, and and also the sort of actual game itself. How was it different? Well, uh, English football was and certainly still is fast and furious. It's uh, intense. There's tempo. There's um, there's a lot of hardworking people. A lot of competition. People earning a living. You know. Their livelihoods is at is at stake. There's, you know, as you sort of drop down the leagues, there's there's not a safety net from being on big contracts, um, and and then there's the atmosphere, which is well just as important. There's the history, uh, in England, uh, the culture of football. Everyone, it seems anyway, uh, have some kind of connection to a team. Yeah, and um, and you simply don't have that in Denmark. It's right. uh, uh, the, the professional league in Denmark started, I think, in the late mid eighties. Probably it, it will be a. There's good players, but yeah, they haven't got the history. So um, uh, and the tribalism of two clubs meeting each other, two sets of fans singing the stadium up. Uh, well, it's not always full, but. Uh, there's a great atmosphere, so that was that is the main thing. And uh, and for me, for me, when I went from part time to full time, you know, I didn't train anymore. We at Horsens, we would train four evenings, uh, and then the game on a Sunday, and but then we would either study or go to work. I mean, it was we would train uh, hard as hard, I'd say, but yeah. uh, but now turning into full time. Right, you could really dedicate yourself to it, and that one. So that was a that was a big change as well. And you joined Coventry in two thousand and three, Klaus. Um, talk us through how the move took place. Well, I was out of contract at Bradford. I'd I'd had a reasonably good uh, good season. My first season at Bradford was a bit. Uh, I was out of the team, then I was in the team, and. And uh, there was a change of manager, and it, and um, but my second season was was better on a personal level. Where I scored a few goals, and uh, but I was out of contract. And I don't know if you remember the ITV Digital 
program what's it called the tv station broke down and it okay. was uh, they didn't have they didn't have the money and itv digital went bust and suddenly there was a uh, financial problems uh, bradford didn't have they'd gone into administration all, already once and uh, and i was i was let go like, with a lot of other players and um, we're looking for a club and i think coventry had showed an an interest uh, that had been talked uh, to my agent uh, before the summer. And then uh, the move came about. But <laughs> I don't know if it was because we played Coventry and I had to man Mark McAllister. You know, I had to become a... Because was, he was one of the best players for Coventry and we had to stop him. And, um, and I was asked to just be a good old-fashioned man-marker. <laughs> and uh, so basically just follow him around the pitch all the time and I remember playing at Bradford he got really annoyed and um, so I don't know if I made an impression on him then but um, not that he uh, he would use me in that role but yeah I went to Coventry in the summer uh, joined for a few training sessions played a couple of friendly matches against the Wolves and I think it was Mansfield and assigned uh I signed, I think, the week before the season started. So I got a little bit of a, a slow start, um, which I think came back to bite me, actually, mm. because uh, I didn't have a full pre-season. But that's how, that's how it came about. And you mentioned there about Gary McAllister, and, and he was the, the manager to sign you. He, he sadly had to sort of step down through personal issues. Describe what it was like at the club at that time, changing of managers. Was it quite unsettling? Because, you, you know, you mentioned about um, coming in with a bit of a late pre-season. Yeah, um, he, uh, I mean, he, he was a great player, Gary McAllister, and he would play yeah. football. And he had... Uh, he had Eric Black with him, who was a fantastic uh, coach, a really, really good football coach, and um, and it was just really sad when uh, when Gary called us in. He called everyone in at the training ground, the staff, the players, the yeah, the ground staff, the kitchen uh, people, everyone, and then said right. that it was it was a tough time at home, and and he had to to take some time off, and. Um, um, so that from a, you know forget forget what happened afterwards, but but that was just really sad when people you know, his wife was ill and yeah of course um, it was just really sad time. Um, then uncertainty afterwards and uh, lots of changes of managers. That 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 I think we had yeah of course four different managers in the first eighteen months. Um, which is unsettling. There was yeah. all, uh, Gary McAllister was already doing some some clearing out uh, when I signed, and then Eric Black came in and well, yeah, took over as manager, and uh, and he well he had his own ideas obviously, and I was not really part of his ideas, so I was out on loan. Other players were brought in and. Peter Reed coming in at the last game of the season, and he started to bring his players in, and then the, so when eventually Mick Adams took over, I don't know if it was January or February, he was he took over in the second part of of um, the 5 season, I think. Yeah. Uh, then um, he was left with a lot of uh, fracture, uh, you know. A, a squat that's been assembled and disassembled, and yeah. so yeah, that was that was not um, it was not a good time. Um, continuity was, uh, you know, was a uh, uh, was not a word in the in the vocabulary then. And just going back to, to some of those managers that you you played under, um, Peter Reed, for example, what what was he like as a manager? How did he how did he kind of differ to to perhaps other managers you played under? Oh, you. <laughs> He was a real character. He um, he'd walk into a room and 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 you know there was an air air of confidence about him and and he was uh, he was really really funny and uh, <laughs> that was, so he he knew how to get a good atmosphere within the squad. Um, uh, he took he had uh, Adrian Heath Inchy with him as his assistant and um, and brought. Uh, James McDonough in, in as a goalkeeping coach, 
and Darren, I think Darren Robertson as a, as a fitness coach. So that was a there's new staff coming in there from uh, the coaching side as well. Mm. But uh, he he was uh, he was letting Inchi get on with the the coaching, which was also enjoyable. They're very much about playing football, and it was about expressing yourself. Uh, I think he was he was probably about recruiting the right players to yeah. to 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 fit with each other not too much not too much structure and putting limitations on people and and roles and uh, how what to do on the pitch it was more you know get people into a good place uh, mentally and go and express themselves uh, i think that's uh, that was his main we'll say style yeah um, then there's there's talk behind well of what went on behind the scenes. Did he get the money that he was a he was a maybe promised from a sale of Cal, Cal Davenport? Uh, I don't know, but people say that he didn't. And um, and then I think maybe that's that's when he sort of lost a bit of faith in the the, the project that he'd come in come into to. Uh, to see through because we were we were moving into the um, the following season. So he took over. I think the last game of the of the uh, what oh three oh oh what was it oh three oh four season. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And then we moved into the Rico. Uh, what just over a year after, and he was yeah, sort of meant right. to take us into that. And club obviously wanted to get into the Premier League, um, but. Um, but yeah, he, he didn't stop to see that through. So uh, so that's when Mickey Adams came in uh, and uh, and really had to, in the end, had to keep us up in the championship uh, because we were we weren't doing well and uh, and uh, yeah we we I suppose we survived uh, only on the penultimate day of that oh four oh five season. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did feel like, from the fans' point of view, that that Peter he was brought in to kind of take us, you know, into the new ground. Um, obviously, at the Rico, but obviously didn't quite materialise in the end. Um, just on kind of Highfield Road, because you obviously played a few games there. Um, what What are some of your good memories from Highfield Road? And do you have a favourite game that sticks out? Yeah, I mean, the, Hi, Highfield Road. That was uh, um, the, the favourite. The favourite game was. Uh, was the last game at Highfield Road against Derby when it was yeah. uh, we we were we needed we needed a win to avoid taking uh, our taking into the last game of the season away at Crew to stay up. So and Derby they were they were in the in the playoffs I think or trying to get in the playoffs. They were certainly in there, maybe even a, in with a shout for automatic. Yeah, they were well up there, wasn't they? Yeah, yeah, they were and. Uh, and it was a it was a hot day, and there's a lot of things riding on it when it comes to points on the in the table. But then, obviously, the history of being at Highfield Road for over for over hundred years, um, mm. yeah, it was it was fantastic. And uh, and uh, beating Derby six two was uh, was one of my it's up there with one of my best memories in football. Mm. Um, I had. I had I had my I had a good friend over from Denmark at the time, just to visit me, and uh, he's not really that into football. And when he, he 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 saw me after the game, and he was, whoa, this is amazing! This because everything was sky blue and the, the stadium was rocking. Is it like that every time? I said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh yes, it's been like that every, yeah, every week. Been here. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Um, it was unbelievable, and um, and to finish it off, uh, finish our uh, well, be surviving, even though it wasn't a successful season. It was, mm. it was, it was great. Yeah, I think it's been interesting chatting to a couple of the other players that played that day as well. That everyone mentions, obviously, what an important game it was um, to stay up. And I think as fans, we sort of look back so fondly on that as an occasion that we actually forget how important the game of football was for the for yeah. the season. Um, yeah, that's so, yeah. right. Absolutely. Absolutely, it was because uh, um, we had. I think we had uh, played at Plymouth the the week prior, um, and we could have. Uh, I, I, I think it was Plymouth the previous week, and we could have. Uh, we were one nil up, and we 
it, we were into the last minute of the game and uh, I was saying we were hanging on a bit, but uh, we, were, we were defending well and uh, ball dropped in our penalty box after a corner or, or something. And Sean Gota, he, he, he was on loaner uh, with us. Mm, it was just about to clear the ball and that, w- that, was it. that would have been it, basically. And someone just, just kicked his, his kicking foot, so he missed the ball. And it dropped to a Plymouth player who smashed it in to, 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 draw the, to level the game and that's how it finished. Mm. So we had been so close to, you know, this real uh, <laughs> getting the points you needed. Relief. Yeah, get that get that extra point, and um, uh, and then we didn't obviously. So so there there was you you felt the pressure, and and I I remember, yeah, we had Mickey Adams at the time. I remember coming in on Monday morning. Uh, I thought, oh dear, how how is the atmosphere going to be this week? And uh, and he he came in really positive, making jokes and 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 really lifted the mood. And I I'll never forget that. And I thought, well, how how is he able to do that? But obviously, that's that was his job. He's a manager. Mm. He needs to lift people. So so that was looking back, it's very deliberate. But um, that's certainly something we need, and and maybe something that helped us helped us uh, turn over Derby. Now, I've always wondered about that last game at Highfield Road in that obviously we've just talked about how important the game was itself, but the celebrations for, for us as fans seemed to go on for absolutely ages after the game. Obviously, the fans mobbed the pitch and there was singing with Jimmy Hill. How much of that did the players sort of know was happening outside of um, you know the changing room with the ground because obviously they would have finished the game they would have gone they did the lap of honour and then they would have gone back to the changing room and, and, and changed did the players stay around much longer for, for their sort of celebrations I think we we stayed a little bit longer in the in the dressing room because just because of the relief and there might have been uh, there might have been a beer or two in the in the changing room <laughs> but uh, not not that not that uh, there wasn't actually much of that going on at all, uh, but uh, I think on that occasion, there, yeah, yeah, there might have been, but but um, but it, for us, it it was it was so much riding on it, and then also you wanted to give everyone uh, a good final game at Highfield Road, so it, it, everything was so, yes, and uh, and then you don't want to let people down, you know, you don't want to be. Uh, be the ones that played that such an important game at Highfield Road, and you, and you didn't produce. Um, so, so we could have we, we could have scraped the one nil, and we would have taken that before the game. But uh, this was just the result and the performance, because we obviously came out and we we were four nil up in uh, at, uh, at half time. Very so early, yeah, of it, course. It, it was really, um, it was really uh, a good start, and then we just, just, you know, saw the game out in the second half. And then, of course, Coventry, like you mentioned, last game at the Highfield Road, and then they moved on to the Rico. You made history that day when we played QPR. We beat them 3-0 in the open fixture, but you scored the very first goal at the Rico Arena. What was it like, the transition from Highfield Road to the Rico? Was it was it full of excitement? And, yeah, talk us through that game and that goal. Well, first of all, I um, I thought, well, right, OK, uh, now I get to play in a real modern stadium, like like in the you know Premier League and the... It, obviously, that being the latest one built, it would be the most modern in in England of at course. the time. Yeah. And uh, uh, well, I was actually out of contract that previous season when we finished at Highfield Road. Um, my contract came to an end, and Mickey Adams come in, and you just expect him to to clear out to clear everyone uh, everyone who's who's out of contract, maybe get his own players in, but. Uh, uh, and the, my friend that I had had on a visit when we played uh, at Derby, I got him. Uh, I took him round the the stadium, the Rico Arena. I had arranged with uh, Raj Athwell, who was a commercial manager at yeah, the time. Yeah, time, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah I said Raj, can we? Can you sort us out a little tour? Because uh, it was more or less, well, obviously more or less finished. And um, so he sorted out. We got went all round, and I. I I said to my mate Jimmy, I said, 
you know, I'm, I don't think I'm going to stay at Coventry. I don't think they're going to give me another contract. So, but this was how, how close was I to to play in a stadium like this? So, so when uh, when I got offered an extension or a new contract, then uh, you know, I, I bit the manager's hand off and and yeah, I, I got a chance to play, but I wasn't I wasn't starting in the previous games. Sure. So, um, so we played Burnley the week before, and uh, and Stephen Hughes he he received the red card, and uh, yeah. and I I, I came on, uh, we made some changes. I came on in midfield and did did all right at Burnley, and I got the chance from the start at at uh, at the Rico at the first in the first game. So it just obviously scoring the goal like is you you can't really you. you I know it, it's just a goal, but it being the first goal, it, it just shows you that football, you can be on a high one minute, then you can be down and not in the team. And then something happens and you get your chance in the team and you've got to just remain focused, remain level-headed and be prepared. Uh, and all of a sudden, you'll, you'll get a little bit of luck. And, and I got that there with, the, with scoring that first goal. It was... Um, it was uh, Marcus Hall had, had sort of cleared it. He he would probably say played a long ball up to to uh, I think Scoey James Scowcroft yeah. controlled it, laid it back to Gary McSheffrey, who for once crossed it instead of uh, having a go himself. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just made a run, a late run through the middle, and uh, I snuck in between two defenders, and uh, the goalkeeper was sort of caught. Uh, in no man's land, and yeah, I got that first goal, and that was another. That, so they're they're the two two really memorable days. The the last one at Highfield Road, and and the first at the Rico, and they are they are games that I'll I'll never forget. Has anyone ever sort of um, compared that goal? Because it was very sort of like Houchin when the 1987 Cup final, he scored a diving header, and yours was very similar. Did did anyone sort of make those comparisons and? Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that a few times. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, I think I think in my situation, the goalkeeper was a little bit more caught out than uh, at Wembley. But uh, they ha- it has been mentioned, and I've I've seen I've seen a, a poster where they they put the two pictures up next to each other, and uh, uh, yeah, it was, um, and that was another memorable occasion, wasn't it? Um, in in eighty seven, so. Yeah, I've I've seen and heard about that. Yes, yeah, sure. No, no, I know which one I'd rather have scored. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Just wanted to chat a little bit about some of your teammates at Coventry. Um, so you've got, I've got a bit of a silly one to kind of kick kick off. Um, who was in charge of the music in the dressing room before a big game? Well, I um, yeah, I I I can't quite remember. It, it would probably be. Uh, some of the younger boys, uh, uh, Max Sheffrey would probably be get involved in that. He would, um, he would probably be one of them. But uh, yeah, I, it's not really anything I really remember. Other than as long as I could get my my song on now and again, then uh, I think we had. Uh, I think we could could each had a song towards when we were at the Rico. I think everyone had a song. They could, we uh, and it was a, like a compilation CD. So, um, but so being in charge was uh, was not one single person's uh, job, as I remember it anyway. Collective, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, when you were training with the Sky Blues, obviously we've heard from some former players about um, Peggy Arfex's hilarious um, yellow jersey shirt when he sort of swapped it for a bib. We've heard some really other funny stories. <laughs> Who was sort of in training? Who was like the the hardest worker in in training at the time when you were there? And and who was would probably sort of uh, slack off a little bit on the training field? Well, I think um, yeah. The I mean, hard workers. Uh, well, you're, you'll obviously always like to to think that you you tried hard, but um, yeah, of course. Yeah, no. Um, I think I think midfielders, some of the midfielders, um, uh, Doyle would work hard, uh, but also players like uh, 
like uh, Andy Wing was was a hard, honest worker. Uh, Isaac Osborne, he was he was a uh, he was a tough, yeah. very quiet, but he would he would work really hard as well. Um, so, um, but yeah, that would be there. There'd also be some of the lads that didn't work as hard in training, and um, they uh, yeah, we well, would have. Uh, I had a player of great quality, Stern John. He was a—he uh, was not one who would uh, would run around too much. He would prefer to to stand and receive the ball, chest it, hold people off, and you couldn't really get the ball off him. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, but he he wouldn't really work too hard. Adelia had a bowler. He was he was someone who would uh, would prefer to turn it on on the day as well. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, good, good players, both of them and, uh, and, and, and good lads as well. And obviously we, we just talked about, there was, there was obviously some challenging times um, for the club, you know, surviving relegation in that season. Um, were there any sort of players who, who kind of stood up as leaders and I guess sort of a bit more vocal to kind of G the team up when I guess there were some, probably some tough some really tough spells that season. Um, yeah, I mean the la- the last game, uh, sorry, the last season at Highfield Road, it was um, there was people coming to the end of their contracts. I think um, there was going to be a little bit of a change over that, as there always is. Um, but we had um, we had players with the experience um, who'd been there for many years for. You know, players like Richard Shaw, he would always be a calming influence. He would never get carried away. He would he would try and and just steer you the right direction. Not not by being uh, over overly vocal or uh, um, yeah, he wouldn't be. But he would just be he would just be a, a calming influence. And, and they, those are the players you sort of look at when you are when you're down there. Mm, you're, you're trying to have some someone just to lean against, but then uh, you know we had, you know Gary McSheffrey. He was he was starting. He was really starting to fire on all cylinders. He was, he was he was scoring some goals for us, and we, um, uh, you know, those players you rely on. Or the, you know, players who can score goals, um, they they obviously make a diff- big difference. Um, yeah, so. Uh, I wouldn't say that there was uh, just one one player in particular, but I think when you're down in uh, in the relegation, it's experience. And I think uh, I think Steve Staunton, he was there as well, wasn't he? And uh, yeah, he's not bad. Yeah, exactly. And and they just don't get phased, and and that's what that's what you need. Not by talking, maybe, but more about the the way they are around the place. Um, you know, can keep can keep a good atmosphere, can laugh and joke. And the manager is very important, obviously, in all of this. And Alan Cork, Corky, one of the funniest men in football. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen him down. So uh, he, he, was, he was fantastic to have around as well. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And you just talked about McSheffrey, Richard Shaw. I mean, you played with some, you know, really great Coventry players during your time. Um, if we had to sort of pick a, a team to play alongside you, so a goalkeeper, a defender, another midfielder and a, a striker, who, who would they be from, who would you pick from your time at, at Coventry? So at Coventry, um, yeah, there was uh, 
there was a lot of a lot of players and but I I sort of I've picked of most players from the the last year or two because my first season at Coventry I was I was late in the team and then I was uh, there was change of manager and I was sure. out alone and so but um if we start from uh, in goal it would be uh, it would be Martin Fulop yeah the, the Hungarian Hungarian player was on loan who sadly passed away now he was he was a real it was a real uh, winner on the pitch and on, in training um, he really wanted to win and do well but he was he was a real nice man as well yeah. and um, uh, yeah and I think he might have got player of the year or young player of the year in, yeah. in the end of season uh, awards player of the year awards so yeah, that told you a bit about what he, he was capable of. So he'd been goal. We've we've uh, just with with um, Martin. So was it what was so good about his sort of game on the pitch? Obviously, like you say, he was really wanting to win. But was what stuck it? Was there any sort of his distribution, perhaps? Or I think I think it was his uh, athleticism across the line. I think he sure. was he was a very good mover, and uh, he would come out and collect a few balls as well. Um, uh, it, I mean, not that, not that we would play it out from the back as much as they uh, they do it now. But yeah. uh, he would uh, he he would be very agile and and very good mover. That's 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 what uh, what how he stood out. I think. And who would you have in front of him? So as a, a defender. There was uh, obviously I've said uh, Richard Shaw was uh, just for the career he's had he, he's been tremendous and but there was also uh, a Stephen Warnock who, who played for a while and went on to have a great career. Yeah. Um, so those were in there, but I'll, I'll say I'll say probably Robert Page. He was he was I think he was both a, a leader uh, and uh, and also just a very good defender. Right. So he was. He could do his own job, and he he could get the team around him. He could lead the team, and he was good at. Um, he was a good influence, always yeah. always calm and steady, uh, not overcomplicating things. So he would be he would be in front of Martin Fuller. And then joining you, <laughs> joining me, yeah. Well, I tell you what, there was a. Uh, Obviously, we had Dennis Wise towards uh, yeah, uh, for a few games. He was uh, uh, he showed us how to look after yourself when even he was in late late thirties, I think. And went on uh, some sort of goal spree, didn't he, for for Coventry? Like he came as a sort of middle of the park midfielder, and then he sort of started pop, popping goals in, and everyone was thinking, "Where are these coming from?" That's right. There was, I think, even from the first game he came in, he was uh, scoring goals and. Uh, um, no one saw that coming. I, I, I was, uh, I was a little bit injured uh, in that late part on, in the, the first season at the Rico, right. and I was watching him uh, how he played, and and he would just, uh, he would always sort of be on the move. Uh, yeah. And and uh, so he would a lot of time he would be up the pitch when the ball dropped up there. So he got himself into positions where where he could score goals from. Um, so, um, and I was looking at some stats at the time, uh, running stats, and he was, uh, him and Doyle, they were the, the two players that was running the most, obviously centre mid at the time, they, yeah. they were doing the, the most of the running, but but he was, uh, when you think he's he was that old in football terms, that's quite impressive. However, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then we had Gary McSheffrey. But was he a winger? Or was he a striker? He was great for us for that that season as well. But for a player that um, I think when I arrived at Coventry, I thought he was unbelievable. Um, that was Yusuf Safri. I think okay. he was um, because if I was to play with him, he could he could sit and I could go forward. You see, yeah. Also. But uh, now he was um, you couldn't get the ball off him. He, you could try and get the ball off him, but he was so good at just shielding, protecting Holding it. it up. Yeah, he would just he would receive it anywhere, and he would not be afraid of uh, well people coming coming at him. He always seemed to have uh, an idea of what was going on around him. He he, he wasn't a box to box player, and uh, he didn't score goals. That was areas where he could improve, but he was 
he was a real, um, for me, uh, an underrated player. And gave you the sort of confidence to sort of get yourself up the pitch, knowing that he'd be possibly picking up the scraps if it was oh, to come back. If if uh, if if you're struggling, you just give him the ball. You, you can, if you if you're in trouble, about to lose it, you could just give it to him, and he would keep it for you. That's how it felt. But uh, yeah. yeah, he he um, he was a good player, and I think McAllister. I think he wanted to play a little bit um, in a diamond formation where okay. Safri, he would be the be the sitting so midfielder. Hoping, yeah, yeah, and McAllister he would play himself as the number ten probably. So uh, now he was um, he would be my midfielder. Yeah, he was very special player. Yeah, he certainly was. Yeah, I mean, who's who's scoring the goals, Klaus? Uh, well, I've I've chosen Stern John, um, and that's probably because McSheffrey. Uh, I, I saw him more as a, uh, more as a he was more of a of a winger when I played with him. He played as a striker when when I was on loan to Bournemouth. But sure. Stern, Stern John, he was he was had something he had something different where he he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't the biggest. He wasn't a no. big dealer, the bowler type, but uh, he was strong as an ox, and yeah. uh, he could hold the ball up. He could. Um, he had a good technique, and he could finish. He had a very, very hard shot, and um, I think he. Uh, I don't know if I don't think the maybe the the fans always took to him. But for me, yeah. he was. Uh, he was very good to have in the team and uh, he scored some good goals for us, important goals as well. It's it's funny because it probably matches what you sort of mentioned about training and, and players that may sort of sack off a, tra- a training session. But <laughs> I think for fans sometimes, I always feel sorry for players that are very technically gifted uh, and Stern John certainly was that. Um and and he was you know very pacey and like you said he could score goals from from anywhere. But I think um, yeah in in especially in English football I feel like fans love a player don't they that sort of really runs around really puts defenders under pressure and and that wasn't really a role that Stern ever really wanted to perhaps play. Um, <laughs> no, he w- he wouldn't be f- he wouldn't be fitting into a high pressing team. Uh, um, that was not having said that he he would work hard as well. Um, I remember we were in in Ireland on a on a preseason training camp, and uh, and his his pulse was for some reason his his, um, his heart rate was was uh, very high naturally, but yeah, it was like over two hundred and ten, and it, it his maximum should be only uh, um, yeah a hundred ninety. But anyway, this, that's, this is uh, going to come up in some sort of obscure commentary quiz now, Klaus, yeah. uh, in the future. <laughs> No, he was. Uh, yeah, I think uh, actually, I think it's one of Mickey Adams' uh, uh, things he was known for. We were we played. I think we played Atherston, got beat or drew one-one. We were awful, and next day we were out. <laughs> we were out running. So uh, uh, I remember it. I remember it. It was. Uh, it was. Um, yeah, it was a tough day. But Stern John, he was. He was a quality player. And and the thing is, when when you um, when you play with players. If they if they are quality and they produce, you can. Uh, you don't always have to be. Well, you don't have to be the same. All players don't have to be the same. And we were. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and, and but I know what you're saying. If if you run around, people they they can maybe accept that you can't hit the hit the goal. But uh, yeah. all the way around, for some reason, doesn't really doesn't really work. No, and, and you're you're right, but he was he, he did score some some really good goals. He's very quick, and I, I do I do remember you know he he did used to score a lot of goals, and then, like you say, may, maybe deserved a lot more credit from some sort of Sky Blues faithful. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, he was so he would be uh, he'd be my striker. So Martin Fuller, Robert Page, Yusuf Safri, and Stern John. Um, so Fuller and Page, they would uh, they would shut the door. Safri, he would. He would control keep, and keep the ball. Keep the ball, yeah, and 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 give it to Stern, who'd uh, who'd put it away. That pro- that team would probably win a fair few games on on the on the AstroTurf. 
Yeah, I was going to say, sounds better than my five-a-side team. Well, I was, I was just looking at uh, uh, Pages, Safri and Stern John. I don't think we need it to be a big pitch. Short, yeah. short pitch, yeah. Uh, that's probably preferable. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Um, and then just moving on to, um, obviously, the summer of 2006, you, you made the move to Blackpool. Um, so how did that how did that kind of come about? Well, uh, I was... Uh, well, I had a year left on my contract. Um, so we had bought a house in Warwick. Uh, we got the keys to the house. Uh, well, we just had uh, our second baby, uh, second girl, and uh, got my keys to the house. And the following day, I was seeing the manager at, at the Rico just to uh, it's a debrief from the from the season that's just finished. And um, so Mickey Adams, he, t- he basically told me that, yeah, you you can go. And I was like, oh, God, I've got, I've got to go home to the wife and tell her that we've uh, we've got this house now, I've got a baby now, and now we've got to move. <laughs> never so, ceases uh, to amaze me that, that footballers that, you know, that always having to sometimes move around. And it, it is quite an upheaval, isn't it, at times? of, of... Oh, yes. The, uh, the, first, the first 10 years I was, as the first 10 years I was in England, I had 11 different av- addresses. Permanent addresses, not just the, you know live in a hotel for a bit, but there you move around eleven times. Uh, I think in in my three years at Coventry, I I was living in Warring Leamington five or six different places. So uh, yeah, but the thing is, you go in, you get you get one year contract, maybe a two year contract. You stay, go and rent somewhere for the first six months, and then. Uh, but if you haven't got more than a year left, are you going to buy? Well. I did, but then uh, I was I was uh, told I could go, which was which was uh, you know the manager. I didn't I didn't fit into his plans, and he said I could stay if I wanted to, um, and he he still used me now and again, which I'm sure he he would have done. But yeah. then you you think, what was I then? I was I was thirty, and um, I thought ah oh, I don't want to. I thought I had a a uh, reasonable season up to when I, uh, I had a bit of a, a groin problem. Mm. And um, then I thought, okay, well, maybe maybe just see if I could uh, find something else. And Blackpool had then been in touch over the summer. So when I came back, I joined in with the first team uh, at Coventry and we went to America on a training camp and it was it was all good. I thought I did all right again, you know, <laughs> still wanting to, to stay at Coventry because... Uh, I loved the area and I thought yeah, great stadium and and um, yeah, but it was sometimes it's just time to move on and and um, yeah, went up to Blackpool and um, uh, taking that step down the ladder in in football terms was uh, well probably the best move I, I'd done because uh, I had some a fantastic time at Blackpool for three years um, where. Yeah, we uh, the, the first season after after ten games we were in, well, in relegation. I think you can't say that after ten games. So we were right down the league, and then we, but then we picked up and ended up winning the last ten games in a row of that season. We're, we're, the last one being the playoff final at Wembley, which was uh, you know the new Wembley just opened. I think with the fourth game in there. Um, so again, going back to what we said about scoring the first goal at the Rico from when you think you're out completely out of the club and then just yeah. hang in there and you get a chance and all of a sudden, I know that scoring a goal in itself isn't uh, um, a performance or, or but, it, but it just, if you hang about you in football has a, has a tendency just to, to completely flip uh, 180 degrees and at Blackpool, taking that step down to go and play at Blackpool. Mm. And, you know, I think everyone, I mean, Blackpool and the area, it's a, it's a great area. It's a lovely area with the, with the beach and uh, Blackpool, Blackpool itself is a bit run down in places. So when you go, when you move to Blackpool, it's kind of, you, what you say, done a bit of soul searching in football terms because uh, if, some if you fancy yourself too much then uh, you you'll find it hard to go there so a lot of the characters that was assembled uh, Simon Grayson signed 
that summer. Um, I think quite a few had played at a higher level, but they were the good characters and they fitted well in with the players that were there. And and that was the uh, that was the best dressing room I've been in. That was uh, the Blackpool dressing room. It was um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously we had the success as well, but it was uh, it was a it was a good move in the end. Fantastic. Yeah, because I think it was that that time, wasn't it, when Blackpool were kind of on the up. Um, obviously, ended up being being the Premier League, so it seemed like a very positive time to be there. Um, and I guess for you, you know, I guess sometimes it just makes sense to to make that drop down, doesn't it? Just to play a few more games and and just kind of um, find your feet a little bit more. Did did it really help you to sort of drop down that that level? Well, when I um, you know I said when I left Bournemouth, uh, I was twenty five. I, I become professional at, at twenty three, so I was in a rush. I was in a hurry to get as high as I could, and and so it was. It was a little bit of oh, I don't want to step down a league. I love the championship. For me, the championship is the best league in the world. I, I love it. It's yeah, um, it, it, it's just fantastic. The amount of games and the quality and uh, it's fast and furious and the fans. It's big grounds as well and so competitive big, as well, isn't it? There's so many teams in there that can, oh, can at the start of the season can potentially go yes. up. Absolutely, and. and uh, 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 on the day, everyone can beat everyone. Uh, it is it is competitive. So um, so I, I thought, well, okay. I, it was a bit of a thing to swallow to go back to to go down the league, but it was it was the best thing. And they um, Blackpool had had got a little bit of money. For, they sold some shares, I think, to. Uh, to a Latvian businessman, Bellicon, and uh, so he'd gone involved, and some players were signed, and and we were able to compete. And uh, the manager up there, Simon Grayson, got a, got a good dressing room, and I think that was he was he was good he, he was good at signing players, uh, and uh, he assembled a, a good squad that he didn't have to sort of overly manage. They they could. They could manage themselves in the dressing room more or less. So, uh, uh, yeah, every, it was a, it was a they, well. They we were on the up then, but and since then they've been even the Premier League. It's it's unbelievable. Then they've dropped again. So it's been a real yeah roller coaster up there. Yeah, they've been on a, quite a journey, haven't they? Um, yeah. So one thing I've always noticed when I've been up to Blackpool, it always seems to be very very cold and windy up there. I just wondered what it was like playing on a Tuesday night in the middle of winter. Yeah. yeah, well, well, we we didn't like it. So, uh, so God knows what the team we played would th- would think. Remember, we uh, that when when I was there, the um, what well, the ground had been developed, but only only half. So it was like an L shape where where the stand were like an L shape, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, yeah, behind behind one goal there was there was nothing but uh, you know left over from a building site, and then there was temporary stand opposite the uh, main the main stand, and uh, yeah, it was what what we were doing is we we made sure if if we won the toss we would play down towards the open end in the first yeah. half, and uh, and. Uh, I don't know if the opposition. There was a few times the opposition would would um, would turn us round and they would they would play to the open end in the first half. But it was that won us a few games because it was windy place on a Tuesday night, you know, in the winter, in the winter, and uh, even if it, it was a blowing from uh, the wind was coming from the west in, inside the ground, it was going all over the place. I, I, Remember playing a few teams. Uh, I think, oh, I think was it? Yeah, I think Watford and QPR. That they, they were, they were not. They were sort of mumbling under their breath on the pitch. <laughs> what was this all about? And, <laughs> and uh, I, could, I couldn't agree more. But I, I knew that you know they, we, we got them now. But um, uh, yes, it was. Uh, but that's just uh, you know when you come to these unfancied places, then mm. uh, then. You, the game asks you a different question than just yeah, the, which is about the football. And that's another thing I love about uh, English football. You, you, you know, the, the, the toughness, the mental toughness, as well as the physical that you you have to uh, have to produce. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. 
Um, just moving things on, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the former players association. Because I know um, since you've probably since you've stopped playing football, you've been quite involved in that. You're often seen at the legends days that the club club puts on. Um, just wanted to get your thoughts on sort of how important that is, and, and obviously keeping the fans in touch with ex players uh, and driving that engagement. Um, yes, when I when I uh, finished playing, you know, as a player, you uh, it's your whole identity. You're, you're wrapped up in football, and when you finish, it's a little bit like, well, I felt I don't really want to go back to football I don't want to because it hurts being so close to it but you can't join in the way you used to uh, and I gotta say it was um, it was the former players association uh, Jim Brown and Billy Bell and they 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 got me in invited me into first to do a, I think just invite me along and then to do the ra- do the radio and and that it's so important the work they do, and and you, I really felt part of it. Um, so all those play, all those um, uh, voluntary, all the voluntary work they do. Say mm. Billy Bell, Jim Brown, you've got Sarah, uh, Sarah Morris, Richard, Frank Pritchard, all these. Uh, you've got Dave Boost, mm. Dave Bennett, and uh, Kirk Stevens. All these they they do such. Uh, an important work and us former players we come along once a year to the legends day and, mm. and oh, a couple of times a year there's they they got the golf day in the summer as well yeah of course and, yeah and th- there's so much work that goes into it you yeah, know yeah. And, and 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 they do it for nothing um they have other other former players associations that are starting up or, or they, they come to coventry to see how they run mm. in here yeah. um so uh, we're really, really lucky to uh, to have that. I suppose, I suppose fans are as well, but but certainly the players. We really, we're really pleased. Yeah, definitely. I think as a fan, it's something that we we really appreciate to see, and um, it's great to see it. You know, even some of the more recent players that have played for us becoming members quite quickly and and being back on those Legends Day. So you know, long may it continue. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. you start you start by being a. Uh, last one in the queue when you call out on the pitch, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's your youngest and then uh, then all of a sudden oh there's a few behind you now yeah exactly uh, yeah just moving your way along the line <laughs> <laughs> that's it and Klaus what do you make of Coventry's current crop and the job that Mark Robbins is doing well that's the thing all, all I can uh, all I can do is to see see the results now again I've not uh, it's been it's been hard to follow um Everything that goes on in English football when uh, when I've been over in Denmark to uh, to coach. So, but yeah, clearly I know that co- the club is doing well, and and I've got some of my best friends are season ticket holders for you know for God knows how many years, and uh, they uh, you know so I regularly have messages from them on a on a uh, Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon when when Coventry played, and uh, yeah, they they finally look look like they um, they're gonna go up and uh, yeah it's just a yeah it'll be a shame it, it's happened now where we, we can't really see it because of this uh, corona crisis but um, yeah um, yeah I think uh, yeah and obviously it's the first so I've been following Coventry since I, I finished in what well, finished in 2009 10 uh, and now it um now they're able to go up to the championship and I'm not here to watch it but but we have had a few days at Wembley as well and uh, uh, so it's it's not all bad yeah absolutely and um Klaus what have you been up to um in the last few years since you since you finished playing right so um when I when I finished playing I started uh, a company that uh, that restores floors uh, in commercial uh, for businesses or commercially or in schools or mm. colleges uh, yeah so restoring vinyl floors so uh, I, w- I always wanted to be self-employed and when I finished football I just had that I wanted to try something else and my my cousin has a, a very success- successful company that does this kind of thing in in Denmark so uh, so I started that and um and uh, yeah, I've been uh, yeah 
restoring old vinyl floors in in schools or wherever in around country and the midlands and yeah down london we've been many times and uh it's uh it's been good it's been great to 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 be my own boss you see mm. what in football you um you always rely on someone else's opinion yes it's very you, true. Can, you can you can work hard and you can f- you feel you've done the right job uh but you are overlooked so, so yeah. being your own boss is 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 liberating in many ways. It, it's still hard. It's still as yeah. hard. I tell you what, if not harder. Yeah. Um, I've been under pressure <laughs> uh, yeah, mentally. Um, you know, been challenging situations that you have to get yourself out of. Where, um, in in other ways than on on the football pitch. So, but it's been great to you. You have that. If things go well, it's down to you. If they don't go well, it's down to you. Yeah. So, absolutely. Um, that's a nice free feeling to have. Mm. Um, and also it, it gave me a, a chance to, to coach football because a lot of, lots of coaching roles, especially if you want to get started, they are, well, they are uh, on sociable hours. They are, they're not paid. If they're paid, they're, you know, they're not paid a lot. So, uh, and you have to spend a lot of time doing it. I, I almost say that any coaching job is a full-time job, but uh, yeah. it's just whether or not it's being, you're being paid. So by having my own business, which is unique floor care, by the way, if anyone uh, is still in, is still in business, so uh, you, go <laughs> nice and, you, go, you go and look it up, uniquefloorcare.co.uk, there you go. Um, <laughs> they, uh, it, it enabled me to um, to follow my, my passion because one of the first times I co- I, um, I commentated football after finishing playing, I just knew straight away that I wanted to get back involved. Uh, it, it was almost too easy just to give an opinion about something mm. uh, when the, when there's nothing riding on it. So uh, so that's why I wanted to get back involved, and and uh, my business has has allowed me to do that. Yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. to hear that. Um, it almost sounds like when you're in football, you're constantly up against it. Like you mentioned a few times, you know, managers bringing in their own players constantly. And I guess you just constantly feel like, you know, you might be pushed out. But I guess now with your own business, like you say, you're, you're in charge of your own destiny and, and making those decisions. So, so yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, that, that's, uh, that's right. The, the pressures are the same, but different. You know, there are pressure. It's just... It's just different. So, uh, mm. but um, yeah, and it's, it's 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 developing you as a person to try different things as well. Yeah, and you mentioned there the um, the commentary and, and things like that. Obviously, we've heard you quite a lot on on CWR doing the phone ins. Have you have you enjoyed the sort of media side of it? Is that something you want to get into a bit more? Yeah, I think that's um, when when I was playing football, I always thought oh, you just talk on the radio. You know, like all my not really appreciating. Uh, the professionalism and, and how much of a skill it is to mm. be uh, a commentator. And when when I go and commentate, I'm say just a summarizer. I just I can just sort of say what I think and uh, not really have to think too much about the the order of what uh, when what is said and and uh, especially well there's radio and there's TV and all the information the presenters have going on from the producers in their ears mm. whilst talking and yeah. uh, you know Clive Eakin and 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 Stuart Linnell who I've and Jay Foster who I've commentated with loads of times I've just got so much respect for 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 their craft it's I think it's it's fascinating to see close up how mm. they handle so much information it's almost like a, a, a air traffic controller you know there's yeah. so much going yeah. on and, yeah. and what, when we sit there and commentate, you know, obviously I hear what goes on, but uh, but they will have to talk as being fed an information in uh, through you know in the ear, and also look at information on a laptop in front of him. Yeah, and and that whole timing of getting it in the right place, and with Stuart and and uh, yeah, Clive, they they're fantastic at it. Yeah, it's probably something we don't appreciate. And I guess 
while all of that's happening, there's an actual game of football going on with a lot of emotion involved. You know, I'm sure they kind of get into it a bit as well. Oh, yeah, but, um, but the football, as, yeah. with it being radio, you don't have to actually be writing what you're saying because yeah. uh, people can't see it. It's a lot different on TV. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And, and Klaus, thank you. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and behalf of the commentary fans and the thousands of Sky Blues Extra listeners, we thank you for your contribution you made whilst wearing a commentary shirt. It is a real pleasure discussing your Sky Blues story this evening. No, uh, thanks for thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, hopefully the, the city can, uh, can get up this season. So yeah, play up Sky Blues. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra podcast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.